Welcome to the weekend edition of the Daily Stoic. Each weekday, we bring you a meditation inspired by the ancient Stoics, something to help you live up to those four Stoic virtues of courage, justice, temperance, and wisdom. And then here on the weekend, we take a deeper dive into those same topics. We interview Stoic philosophers. We explore at length how these Stoic ideas can be applied to our actual lives and the challenging issues of our time. Here on the weekend, when you have a little bit more space, when things have slowed down, be sure to take some time to think, to go for a walk, to sit with your journal, and most importantly, to prepare for what the week ahead may bring. Hey, it's Ryan. Welcome to another weekend episode of The Daily Stove. We got a little table turn episode today. This is a conversation I had with Colonel Jonathan Chung. He's the second striker brigade commander. They're based out of Fort Lewis in Washington. And uh, he's got this interesting podcast where he interviews sort of business leaders. It goes out to all the all the armed forces members on the base and the, and the leaders there. But we just we had a great conversation about this idea of a lifetime dead time, which has been a big theme for us. Talk about this thing I've been trying to remind myself of. There is no normal. Who knows when we're going to go back to normal? There, there is no normal, right? It's about, for the Stoke, it's about responding and being resilient where you are with what you've got. Colonel Chung was a great interviewer. We had a great conversation. Uh, I asked him some questions. He asked me some questions. I thought, hey, if this was uh, relevant to our men and women in uniform, it should be relevant to all of us out there, whether we're first responders or, uh, you know, in our first semester of college. Uh, How do we respond? How do we design the life we want? How do we find success? How do we navigate difficulties? That's all what we're trying to do today. And so this is a extended meditation on that. And uh, I hope you like it. And thanks to Colonel Chung for having me on. Appreciate it. Hey, Ryan, I appreciate you taking the time to join us to have a conversation with the team today. Yeah, of course, of course. I I understand. Are you calling from uh, Austin, Texas? Yeah, right outside uh, outside Austin near, uh, near Bastrop. You know, that's interesting. I, I read an article that said that you had you'd moved out there, you know, living the life of, of a uh, stoic. And, you know, my, my wife actually, her family actually uh, lived out there in Bastrop for a while. She's from Austin in the city, but then, you know, they, they moved out a little bit in the, uh, in, the, in the country, as you say. Very cool. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I don't know if it's the stoic life, but I, I certainly like it better than living in the city. I was kind of laughing to myself when it was an article that talked about, I think you were out there with your son and, you know, the reporter mentioned something about, you know, you had donkeys and then like a dog grabbed a chicken. So I'm kind of like envisioning this, you know, Noah's Ark kind of Ace Ventura thing that's going on. Um, But pretty neat. Yeah. I don't don't know about that, but yeah, we've we've got some chickens and goats and donkeys. It's uh, certainly not a bad place to be uh, in the middle of a pandemic. Absolutely. Hey, so I was wondering if you could just share with the team what you're currently working on right now. So uh, I actually have a, I have a book coming out in September that's uh, that's called Lives of the Stoics. Uh, that that's uh, sort of a set of biographies of all the all the Stoic figures. Um, so so I'm I'm kind of in the middle of getting that out in the world. And then my sort of philosophy has always been: as soon as you finish a book or a project, start the next one. 
So I am about, I don't want to call it halfway, but I am deep in the middle of writing the next book. So I, I always try to balance sort of the exhilaration and the release of like putting something out with the sort of hard, humbling work of like tackling the next big thing. That's, that's pretty neat. It sounds, it sounds as you go through that process, I've watched a couple of your, uh, you know, the daily stoic and you've got that routine down where you talk about the journaling and capturing the thoughts and then going back and reflecting. And does that, does that help in the process when you're actually going through writing a book? Yeah, I think so. It's also, it's like, look, okay, if I'm just putting this book out or, you know, you're just sitting there waiting for a promotion or you're, you know, you're just waiting to see if the deal is going to go through whatever the thing you're anticipating, you're that, that sort of, you know, they say like idle hands are the devil's workshop. Uh, I tend to find like, it's, it's, it's less that I'm going to get into trouble and more like my mind is going to cause me trouble. So I don't want to be sitting here going, how's it going to do? Do they like me? You know, I, I just find that, that I'm happiest working on a project because that's the best, most constructive place to be putting my energy. So, you know, if I'm putting, if I'm sitting here sort of wringing my hands, anxious, worried, is it going to succeed? Is it not going to succeed? Um, obviously that that's not making me happy and it's not really having any impact on the success or failure of that project. Mm -hmm. But, you know, instead today I woke up and I put a couple hours into the next thing and that is going to have an impact. So I I'm just always trying to put the energy towards where it's going to get traction as opposed to just sort of spin. That, that That's great. I think that, you know, something that's parallel to us is, you know, there's only a limited amount of time in the day. So it's the, the dedicated hours we can to put toward our craft, whether it's, you know, you're getting together, whether it's something you're honing as an individual in the skill set as a soldier or something you're doing as a squad, but there's a very fine amount of time. And as, as you talk about, you know, really it's the passion. So our passion and soldiering is one of those things we get a chance to do. It's that, you know, one to three hour time frame that you can really dedicate some time to get after that is, is really the, the gains that we're looking at and the desires and the opportunities that we look at. I think that's true. And I would also say another analogous place is like, you know, you guys are waiting for orders, right? You're waiting for your next uh, position or your next uh, deployment. You know, you're waiting, is the plane going to take off today? Is it going to take over tomorrow? You're waiting, you know, you sent out your, you know, your communication, you're waiting to hit it get a get a reply back are you going to spend that time fuming you know brooding dreading or are you going to spend that time productively trying to solve the problem productively trying to solve a different problem you know or are you just going to go for a run and you know burn some calories right like any of those things is a more productive use of your time than the you know, just, just sort of sitting back and waiting for things to happen to you. A absolutely. I think that's a great segue before we actually start getting into the meat of the conversation. So for those that are listening, you know, I think when with the messages and the underlying themes that you're going to hear as we're talking about today, you know, prioritization, really some key lessons on time management, focusing on the things that you truly can control. And I think for us, as you look at it, how can we help for those that are recently just joining the profession of arms? How do we quickly integrate them and close this value gap? How do we then, as you know, I like to, you know, go back and really focus on the, the obstacle is the way, take advantage of the things 
and see them as opportunities, vice obstacles, and then really how do we grow as individuals and as an organization? And and so when we start this thing off, I was wondering as we were doing some re- research, I, I uh, and just to share with the the team, I was wondering how uh, if we can get back in the time machine a little bit. How does Ryan Holiday, the guy that writes the promo and the and one of the biggest ploys for Tucker Max, hope they serve beer in hell, start the journey for stoicism? And uh, as you walk through that, I was wondering if you could share really some of the lessons about having a mentor and the impact of Robert Greene as you're going through that. Yeah, I mean, all those things are, are more related than it might sort of appear at first glance. When I was, you know, 18, 19 years old, I loved books. I don't think I, I fully verbalized yet that I wanted to be a writer, but I, I loved books. And so I just wanted to be close to the action. And I knew if I could get close to the action, I'd find a lane for myself or I'd find somewhere to contribute. And so and I started writing for my college newspaper. And then through that, I started meeting writers and, and Tucker was one of them. And I was his research assistant. I was his assistant. I did marketing for him. And through him, I met Robert Greene, who's, who's I think one, one of the great living writers of our time, who wrote The 48 Laws of Power. He wrote 33 Strategies of War, which I think anyone in your profession should read. Um, but the, the point being, I, I just wanted to get around people who were doing or had done what I wanted to do. Um, you know, there's a great, there's a great quote, uh, any fool can learn by experience. I prefer to learn by the experiences of others. You want to get you, what, what a mentor really allows you to do, it's not that they're pulling strings for you or opening doors for you. It's that they are allowing you to learn from their mistakes by instructing you of like, no, 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 don't do that. That's a bad idea. Do this instead. And so that was just a huge part of my career. I, so, so it was less like sort of an affinity for, for that lifestyle or this lifestyle or this kind of writing or that kind of writing and just more like, this person has done it. I'm going to go suck uh, as much uh, knowledge out of them as possible. And then this person and this person. And that was putting me on the path to, to be able to do my own stuff eventually. That, that's, that's great. What I'm hearing is, you know, you're, when you have this passion and almost like this obsession, you're going to surround yourself with those that have demonstrated and they, have, may have, they may have accolades, they may just have the experience that are willing to, to pass on the things that they've learned over the time. And that's, that's, very, that's very similar to what we, we go through. We talk about the profession of arms, and as you come in, you really start off really as a member. And as you walk down this journey, you know, and you spend some time in there and you realize it's as a career, you become a steward. And part of the things about a steward is you're recognizing talent. You know, as I say, talent, work ethic, you know, and, and – uh, and, and really passion once they're aligned, you can start to see someone's potential. And that's pretty neat that, you know, Robert Green identified a lot of that stuff in you, as I know that you've uh, accredited and he's mentioned a lot of things to you as well. Yeah. And look, it's, it, there's other ways to find mentors too. It doesn't just, I mean, you do want to have a, an actual person you talk to, but you know, this is what reading also allows you to do. And I know General Mattis has talked about this. He's like, look, people have been talking and writing about your profession for 5,000 years, right? Like it's, it's, it, it actually is the oldest profession, right? And, and so, you know, he's saying like, it's, it, it's almost sacrilegious uh, not to, not to learn from that. Like, so it's like how many people that there, there's amazing books 
about people who went to boot camp. There's amazing books about people who were prisoners of war. There's amazing books about people who, you know, the first uh, female to do this in the military, the first black man to do this in the military. All the different experiences cut in little different slices you get from these memoirs and books. And, and so on the one hand, just to make your own journey easier, you wanna avail yourself of that knowledge. But then this is, I think, the really important part in your profession, and, and I think General Mattis's quote about it is incredible. You know, he, he's saying you can't go fill body bags learning by trial and error. You know, he's saying you have to learn from the people in front of you because, as you said, you become a steward, you become a part of the tradition, and then other people are dependent on you. And so uh, the idea that you're just going to wing this as you move through your career is not just needlessly difficult, but the costs of it are borne by people other than you. They're going to be borne by the, the men and women underneath you and then ultimately the citizens that you protect as part of your profession. So I, I feel like I've certainly benefited from actual uh, mentors, but I've benefited far more by all the books I've read because I have access to the greatest men and women from all of history, from every background and experience you could possibly imagine. No, that's a great point. I think it echoes one of the things we try to share here is about, you know, if you want to move along the profession of arms, you've got to be a student of the profession. So it's pouring yourself and just being that sponge. So there's there's that two portions of it. It's it's gathering all the science, you know, that you possibly can. And then, as, as you've mentioned, then we all go find our own Robert Greens that have some experience, and then we can actually operationalize and, and kind of learn whether it's vicariously or they give us the opportunity to actually be a practitioner. Yeah, and, and uh, like Eisenhower famously, I think this is when he was stationed down near the Panama Canal, his mentor was Fox Connor. And Fox Connor was appalled that, that Eisenhower hadn't read von Clausewitz and all these other books. And he like, every day he was like, you're going to read this book and you're going to report to me tonight. And then you're going to read this book and you're going to report to me tomorrow. And so I actually, I think this is where the best mentorships are. And I certainly learned this from Tucker and from Robert, really great mentors will craft a reading list for you. And so it's kind of the interplay of those two things, the knowledge and then the application and going, Hey, yeah, I know you just read this, but you know, here's some of my spin on it. Here's my experiences here that here's how that lines up. And so, yeah, it, you got to be a, a, not just a student of the profession, but a lifelong student in terms of of life itself, I think. Absolutely. I was wondering if we could dial down. I, I heard one of the, uh, the sound bites where you talked to Robert Green and he talked about a live time, you know, yeah. and you were talking about that time frame when you were actually at American Apparel you were actually doing pretty well, you know, and you get into that point well in your career and they were going to promote you and give you, you know, increased opportunities. I was wondering if you could share with the team that experience you were going through and what did that really mean when he was saying a live time? Yeah, uh, and it was sort of a very formative moment for me. And I remember when he was explaining it to me, the analogy I took from it would be someone in your profession. So I, I, I'd been in American Apparel for several years I, I couldn't quite leave yet for some financial reasons, for some you know uh, projects that were in the works and timing. So it was like, okay, I've got like 
eight to 12 months left at this job, let's say, before I can go do what I want to do, which is be a writer. And Robert's point was, okay, that you could sit on your hands for the next 12 months because they're, you know, at the end of it, you don't want anything from them. So it's, he's like, you sort of wait and collect your checks or, you know, you could, you could get everything possible out of this experience. And he, he was sort of saying that he, what he, he makes a distinction between a live time and dead time. And a live time is when you're active and you're learning and you're milking everything you can out of an experience. And dead time is when you're, you know, you're just writing it off. You're just waiting. And I think uh, that, that not only was that sort of formative for me, and I remember thinking, yeah, look, people get, get stationed in God knows where for, for, you know, interminable amounts of time. And, and they, they have to just put up with it. Like this is a much cushier position than that. And, and so, you know, certainly I can, certainly I can, I can eat this and, and figure out some way to make good out of it. But, it, but it's something I've thought about many times since, you know, th this pandemic being a great example, you know, you talk to these people and they're just, oh, I'm just waiting for things to go back to normal. And it's like, first off, I'm not sure that's going to happen. But second, um, you're just writing off like the people who are like writing it off because they thought it was only two weeks. Well, here, most of us are six months later and nothing has changed. You know, I, I, I would have hoped at some point you'd go, oh, that's a that's a really, uh, you know, bad attitude. And you have to you have to say, here's what I'm going to get out of it. And so I think what you do is, yeah, let's say you get, you know, you you get uh, stationed in, you know, Alaska or the North Pole or, you know, some somewhere you don't want to be. You can't say, oh, well, now I just have to wait this out. You have to say, here's what I'm going to emerge from this posting having, uh, you know, developed in myself as a human being, as a leader. You know, it could just be like, hey, I'm going to leave this with, with, you know, a six pack or something, you know, like I'm, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have left this having read, you know, uh, you know, these 50 books, it, it could be anything, but, but the point is, what are you going to get out of the experience as opposed to simply waiting for the experience to be over? The Daily Stoic is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. One of the cool things about podcasts is that you can multitask while you're listening, but depending on what you're doing right now, like for instance, if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else you could be doing. You could be getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save nearly $700 on average and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner and more. So just like your favorite podcast, Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year. So you're protected no matter what. Multitask right now. Quote your car insurance at Progressive.com to join over 29 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $698 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. That, that's a great point. I mean, and, and honestly, that's part of the reason we're able to shape and, and have this conversation today. 
you know, as we were going through this here in the military, you know, we're used to doing a lot of things face to face. So if you came and you kind of saw things today in a military, any unit it was, it kind of looks pretty similar to how things were, you know, just as you mentioned, you know, those that have studied and written about the profession, you'd see formations, you'd see, you know, counseling face to face, you would see, you know, soldiers doing a lot of things face to face. And we, we recognized that we had to um, take a look at some of these mitigations, you know, and the conditions had changed. How can you still make a connection? How can you still convey purpose? And one of the ways was we recognized in order to really not just own our footprint, that footprint now included social media, different distributed communications. But really, how do we dominate? How do we continue to message how do we find and reach out with those that are still kind of going through, offer different ideas and messaging? And that's really the reason why we're, we, we started this, uh, the, the leadership experience. No, I, I love that. It, it, it's uh, sort of what are you going to use this as an opportunity to do? And, and often what you're able to do is things that you couldn't otherwise do because it wasn't feasible because it was too expensive, because the risk was too high, because you were too busy, whatever it is. And so I think at the very least, yeah, you just go, okay, what is this an opportunity to do that perhaps we couldn't do under ordinary circumstances? And look, this the idea of a lifetime or dead time, like if you're if you're trapped at the airport for seven hours because your flight is delayed and you manage to get some reading done. Obviously, it would be preferable that your flight was not delayed, right? Like the the fact that you've launched a podcast doesn't doesn't compensate for the fact that you know people you're not able to interact with, with you know people face to face. It doesn't redeem the fact that you know going on two hundred thousand Americans have lost their lives. These are tragic, real circumstances, and and and, and we're not trying to minimize them. But what we are trying to do is say okay, we accept that as an unfortunate reality, but how can we at least inch the ball forward a little bit? How can we, what, what, what mean, you know, uh, Victor Frankl talks about this in Man's Search for Meaning, the, the idea of finding meaning in the suffering, finding good within the bad, that's really all we can hope for as human beings. That, that goes back to the story um, that you talked about um, where, you know, the king would put the boulder in, on, in the middle of the road and, and just sit there and watch, you know, what would happen. And I thought that was great if you wanted to share the, the rest of that. Yeah, so, so my book, The Obstacle is the Way, uh, it's, it's a book about Stoic philosophy, but, but sort of uh, ironically, it, it begins with a story from, from Zen uh, Buddhism, but it's this sort of little, you know, uh, little story about uh, how a king puts a, puts a, you know, a pouch of gold under a, a boulder, which he places in the middle of the road to town, and he watches the different reactions that people have. And some people curse the boulder, some people turn around and go home, you know, some people just go around and ignore it. Um, and, and, and one man grabs a, grabs a, a log and he, he manages to dislodge it. And what he finds underneath is the prize. And, and so the, the, the moral of that story is that the things we're avoiding, the things that we're complaining about actually contain within them often the opportunity to improve our condition, but we have to be willing to wrestle with them, to, to take them on. And, and, uh, and I think that that holds, that certainly held true in my own life. It's not always, you know, the amount of gold isn't always worth the effort, but, uh, but you know, what's the alternative? 
That, that that's true. I think those who are listening would say that I, I've placed a lot of boulders in their path just to see if they would go find a lever. That's, that, that, that's, that's right. So, no, I, I appreciate you sharing that. So, you know, for those that don't are not familiar with stoicism, I was wondering if you just give them an overview. And I think you really capture their principles. And the thing that I, I really enjoy, Ryan, in your reading and the things that you shared is, you know, it's you, you, you highlight the philosophy and the concepts, but you bring them in, 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 in the stories and you're able to convey them in some lessons. And really, I see them regardless of, you know, whether you're devout or not. It's almost a bridging strategy for personal and professional growth. So if you could kind of highlight, you know, what is stoicism and then kind of how you have brought the messaging to really communicate with people today. Yeah, well, well, thank you. I mean, Stoicism is obviously an ancient philosophy. It it dates back to Greece, sort of really comes of age in Rome. There were numerous sort of soldier Stoics, uh, which we can talk about if you like. But, but, but sort of Stoic philosophy, my sort of summation is it of it is is that the Stoic believes we don't control the world around us, but we control how we respond. And so Stoic Stoicism is really a framework for that response. And, and as it happens, the four virtues of Stoicism also happen to be the same cardinal virtues uh, as, as in Christianity. It's courage, uh, moderation or self-control, uh, justice, which is like fairness and honesty and, 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 and serving the common good, and wisdom. And so, that, so it's what Stoicism is saying, and if we, look, we go back to that idea of the obstacle being the way, is that Life is going to throw stuff at us constantly, but it's always an opportunity to respond with one of those virtues. That, that's that's great. So, you know, for a soldier that's going through anything, let's just say personally, you know, challenges in a relationship, you know, thoughts about some self-harm, you know, difficulty with integration. And what you're saying, as I'm hearing, all those things present some challenges which are seen as an obstacle, but we need to change that perception and look at it as an opportunity because that is the way that's being presented to us. Yeah. It's, it's like, look, when things like when you go to the gym and you're working out, you expect it to be hard, right? That you're picking up this thing and you know that it's heavy, but you understand that in picking up the heavy thing, you're getting stronger and better at picking up the heavy thing. And so maybe one way to think about stoicism is that, okay, when someone is insulting you, this is obviously making you want to react angrily. Well, actually, no, what the Stoic would say is this is, a, this is a test of my ability to manage my temper, right? Or if you are struggling with uh, something in your marriage, this is a challenge to my marriage. How do we get better for this thing? And, and it's not to say that everything uh, is improved. Sometimes it's setting up, hey, this marriage has to end. And now I have to learn how to be single, how to have better relationships in the future, right? Everything in that sense is a, is a, a, has the ability to teach us, to make us better, uh, to, we can be improved by it. So, you know, we, we talk about um, post-traumatic stress. Um, in, in, in athletics, they also talk about post-traumatic growth. What is the growth that comes 
from the trauma, from the difficulty, from the strain. And, and if we focus on that, then, then, then we have the ability to be hopefully improved by the obstacles that we face in life. So one of the things I saw was when you spoke with the Cleveland Browns and you were, and you were talking about all these things and all these factors can occur, but the only thing that you can control is the way that you're playing. And I, and I was wondering, you know, for those that are listening as a soldier, if you could kind of provide that same type of parallel that says, hey, you know, you can't control all these other things, but however you can control. Well, so I, I did speak to the, the Cleveland Browns last season. I don't know. Uh, th- there was very high expectations for the Browns at the beginning of the season. And then I spoke and, and the season did not go well. So I don't know what that says about my advice. Um, but but I did, I did read an interview um, from Baker Mayfield a few days ago where he was talking about, he was like, yeah, you know, last season, and he just sort of listed all the things. He was like, you know, I struggled with this, 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 and this, all the things that I talked about at the beginning of the season, uh, which, which uh, it, it seems he'd, he'd not, not been paying attention to. So, uh, I, again, uh, we can say these things, and then, you know, whether people hear them is, is I guess, different. But what, what I sort of do when I talk to sports teams, and, and I can you, you break this down for, for the military just as easily as you go, look, okay, you control how you play, right? You control how you do your job. You don't control the weather that you're doing the job in, right? Like you don't, you, you control uh, how you played in practice. You don't control your playing time, right? You control whether you run your route perfectly. You don't control whether the ball gets there, right? Uh, think, uh, an army uh, prepares for war. It doesn't decide whether it goes to war and it doesn't decide who it goes to war with, right? That's one of the interesting parts of your profession is that as powerful as you are and the, the, the weapons and the, 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 the lethality that you have control over, how much of your life is controlled by other people and, and other things and other factors. And so what the Stoke is, uh, Epictetus, who was a slave uh, turned philosopher, you know, he talks about, he, he says, um, the first task of the philosopher is to distinguish what's in our control and what's not in our control. And so really that exercise is just a way to go, okay, here's all the things that are up to me. Here's all the things that are not up to me. And I'm going to focus the totality of my energy on things that are up to me. And uh, if you can do that, uh, I think not only will you be happier, but it's a better use of your resources. Absolutely. I, I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that you'd mentioned about stoic virtues and principles that I really appreciated was, you know, the, the highest level just to be a virtuous person, just do good things because you want to be a better person. You know, you want to, you know, you want to be better and you want to contribute to increasing, you know, humanity in, in, in itself. And, it's that whole piece, I think, that the highest good. And you'd mentioned something, I think, you know, in, in Christianity, you talked about if you, you know, go against the Ten Commandments, then you, you know, you go to hell. But, you know, as a Stoic would say, if you're doing those same things that they talk about within the Ten Commandments, you're living in hell. And I was wondering yeah. if you could highlight that. Well, look, I mean, one of the things I, I, I talk about when I talk to military groups is like, okay, why did you get into this? Why did you, it certainly, you certainly did not join this profession for the money, right? And you certainly didn't join this profession for the fame. Uh, and you certainly didn't join, join this, uh, this profession because you thought it would be easy, right? So you picked it because it was the harder thing. 
and you picked it because you value something other than fame and money more, right? Um, and so, so that's great. Now you just have to make sure that day to day, you're making decisions in accordance with those values, right? Um, uh, an, another person I, I would advise everyone to read uh, in, in this uh, in, in this conversation, if you haven't checked out John Boyd, uh, John Boyd's work, uh, they're fascinating. There's a, I think I have it here. Uh, I don't see it, but John, John Boyd's, oh, here it is. Uh, John Boyd, the fighter pilot who changed the art of war. You know, he was famous for, for this, this uh, to be or, Oh, what's that? Interesting. Uh, this to be or to do speech, uh, and and he was saying that sort of you have to decide in your in your life why are you doing this, right? Are you is this because you want to accomplish things for your country, for yourself, for your for humanity, or are you doing this because you want to be important and recognized and impress other people? And and knowing really early on about that distinction is really really essential. And, 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 and it helps you judge your individual decisions along the way. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. Opening up to a therapist might feel uncomfortable, exhausting, or exhilarating, but one thing's for certain, if you keep talking or texting with a licensed therapist, you'll gain insights and uncover truths you can only find in therapy. If you want some personal breakthroughs and judgment-free support, you can sign up right now for Talkspace. At Talkspace.com, you sign up online, you get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. It's incredible incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions with your licensed therapist, and you do it from the comfort of your home. There's no need to commute to appointments, miss time at work, or line up childcare in order to attend sessions. It's mental health care made easy. And to celebrate May, Mental Health Awareness Month, and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering every listener of this podcast 80 bucks off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com slash stoic. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash stoic to get 80 bucks off your first month with code SPACE80. 80 and show your support for the show. That's Talkspace.com slash Stoic code space 80. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the job. In fact, we were just hiring for Daily Stoic and we found our new podcast editor on LinkedIn Jobs because LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. Over 2.5 small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring like we do, as I was just saying, because LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, sometimes even faster than that. You can hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash stoic. That's linkedin.com slash stoic to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, you know, that's, that's one of the things I think that point kind of falls into the ego piece a little bit right and it, it also talks about defining as you're mentioning what is success because if you're joining this for, not for the money or the f for the fame what is it that you got to find and it's interesting and I, what I would share you know a lot of times those that have been successful leaders that become you know you get promoted or you know they end up taking command 
what I what I tell them because you know the same message when you talk about ego is the enemy and this this whole downfall of pride and all the things that have been written about hubris and all those pieces. You know, what we say is, you know, the downfall of a leader was when he starts to believe what's written or said about them, you know, good or bad, or don't believe your own press. But, you know, what I would offer to them is I'd say, you know, the, the, the day you take command or the day you got your promotion, you know, there's your friends and family are all there. Everything's great. What if the, the command or the promotion fairy showed up? and told you right there and that moment that that was the last time that you were going to take command of anything or that was the last time that you were actually going to get promoted. So what would be the reason that you would still want to come in every day and still want to try to be better, and not just for you and for the recognition, but to make the organization better? And the moment that you can identify that, that will be the purpose and the drive that keeps you on the path of selfless service versus self-service. I sort of think about something like that when I write, I go, okay, let's say I, today is the last day that I put in on the project, like I die. Um, did I did I get one? Was it enjoyable for me to do? So it actually should be enjoyable as you're doing it. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it can't be you hate it day in and day out for some vague payoff in the future that's frankly not up to you. You know what I mean? Like if you hate being in the military, but you think it will be really fun to be a general, well, you're going to have to endure, you know, like 30 years of crap until you get your payoff, right? Like you have to enjoy it, you know, day, day to day. That's really, really important. So I think about that. And then I also think, you know, did I leave any loose ends? Like, so I'm trying to always... Uh, Seneca talks about balancing life's books each day. And what he means is just like coming to a close each day with the thing. So, so like if, if, if I died, someone could take my notes and publish like, Hey, this is Ryan's unfinished last book, let's say. Uh, but they, it wouldn't be like, here's Ryan's mess of notes. Do you know what I mean? Like it wouldn't just be like a giant pile of papers. I, I'm, I'm, I'm working diligently, orderly. And I think from a military standpoint, like that sort of structure and organization is key because something could happen to you and someone may need to take over. So I kind of think about it that way. Yeah, I'm not working for some vague, distant payoff in the future. Although obviously I do want to always be getting better, but but I'm I'm trying to assume every day that this is as far as I'm gonna get. That's, that's a, uh, you know, I really appreciate when they talk about it. It's, it's almost the, one of those principles when you, they tell you to, I, I can't remember the term where you, you talk about, you're thinking about mortality, but it's really in the sense of uh, memento mori. That's right. Memento mori, but you, but you really, it's, it's about the opportunity. Are you making the impact? Are you living life to exactly what you want to make the impact and, and to say it, it, that you'd be satisfied? No regrets. Yes. Yes. Uh, definitely. And look, it's much easier for me to say because the risk uh, in my profession is much lower than, than the risks of your profession. But you, I, I think you want, to me, it, it's like when you say, when Marx really says, do everything as if it is the last thing you're doing in your life. He's not saying the world is ending tomorrow. Fuck it. Don't care about anything. Like, let's see what heroin feels like. You know what I mean? He's saying, um, he's saying like, do this. It's important. 
you know, treat it seriously. I, that's, that's how I take it. What's ironic is that the Memento Mori exercise makes you treat everything seriously, but not too seriously, because what does it matter in light of the fact that you're going to die, right? Like the, my other famous quote from, favorite quote from Marcus Aurelius, he says, are you afraid of death because you won't be able to do this anymore? And what he means by this is, responding to emails, waiting in traffic, you know, uh, filing your taxes. Like, you know what I mean? Like his point is that like, uh, none of this stuff really matters. Don't treat it so seriously. Just sort of do everything as if uh, it, it, it matters, but not so much that it makes you miserable. You, you know, when you were you were making those points, both, you know, within your writings and some of the things I've seen in the Daily Stoic, it, it reminded me of some of the things even, you know, I, I've talked with uh, Greg McEwen on essentialism, you know, and we talk about, you know, the importance of when you having a distinct end of the day, which goes back to the thing that we'd mentioned about, you know, time being that resource that, you know, I, I think you mentioned something to the fact of if somebody had damaged or taken your property, you'd spend all this energy to try to get that back from them. But we give this resource away and people take it from us and we don't treat it the same way. And that's something that we can never re reuse again. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And, and, and certainly, uh, the more successful you get in any profession, the more and more impositions there are on your time. And you have to figure out what's important, what's not important professionally, because there's a lot of stuff professionally is important. And then personally, what's important, right? The amount of people that, you know, are really good at their jobs at the cost of their family uh, is, you know, is unfortunately very high. And actually, again, to talk about Eisenhower, Eisenhower has this great matrix. It's called the Eisenhower decision matrix. And it's, it's about, there's the trivial things and the, there's the urgent and the important. And most of the things that we, we think are important are not urgent. And most of the things that we think are urgent are not important. And it's about sort of finding the, the, the balance, the tension between those things. You could spend your whole day reacting, reacting, reacting. And that's when the enemy is going to sneak up on you and encircle you from the rear. Uh, meanwhile, you could spend uh, your whole time focusing on these big, big strategic issues and, you know, you're missing that, uh, you know, termites are destroying the, the foundation of your, you know, your command structure or something, right? Like, so it's, it's a mix of those two things. That's, that's right. You know, one of the things that we've had, uh, you know, leaders express to us, very similar to that same paradigm, but almost kind of a must should like, you know, what are the things that we must do? You know, and, and in the same way, it's almost kind of breaking it down. If you came into an organization and it was just, you, you, from your perspective, was so completely in disarray, where would you start? And so that, that's where you really got to understand authorities and approvals and kind of this must or what are the things, as you mentioned, urgent that we have to do. So, you know, I, I offer to the team, it's like, hey, if you went down the road, like, hey, this is a statue. If we don't do the following things, like, you know, we're breaking the law, right? And then you kind of work your way down between, you know, regulations, policies, and then SOPs. And it starts to kind of flesh that out a little bit. And then leaders then have to make that change, right? So, 
they're they're making that determination as they're balancing both portion of it. You're not focusing too much because then that that's a, that's the experience portion that we're saying, hey, there's a lot of stuff in this must bu- uh, bucket, but there's still some stuff in the should, and there's still some of that stuff in that like. But understanding where to spend the amount of time, I think, is really the is really the discussion that you know kind of goes back to some of these principles of stoicism. Yeah, uh, Marx really says, you know, everything you're everything you see and everything you hear, you should ask yourself, is this essential? And he said you should start by asking that of your own actions. And and so, yeah, the the other the flip side of this is is from a leadership perspective, you see all that. Then you might, uh, you know, you're talking to someone who's not in a position of leadership. They got all these opinions about all the things that should be fixed around here. You know what I mean? And then, and then you look at them, and their desk is a mess, and their desk is a mess, and their car is a mess, and uh, you know, their personal life is a mess. And so it's like, you know, start at home, get your shit together, uh, and then go outward from there. I think. That's right. You know, um, I was talking to John Gordon. He was the uh, the author of the Energy Bus. Amazing. Yeah, I love John. John also John spoke the day before me uh, at the Browns this season. So both of us laugh about how uh, what this says about uh, our life's work, so to speak. <laughs> so, you know, he and, and so you know him, and and as we talked through his portion of it, one of the things was just so. I mean, it was so just you know dead on. He mentioned, hey, if if you're failing in your personal life you're going to fail in life, you know, and it, it kind of, it, it goes along and it, it almost mirrors some of these principles. And, and one of the things I, I had mentioned as we talked through it, you know, everybody's kind of looking for some paradigm, some concept, something that they can at least sink their teeth in as they gain some of this experience on where they're balancing these, this, this prioritization of how to manage this time and what truly is essential. And, you know, a mentor once passed to me that says, how do you know what you're doing in this profession is going to lead you to say that you have, you were successful. And one of the things he, he mentioned was so easy to understand, but at the same time, you've got to try to figure it out for yourself is you'll be able to tell through the eyes of your shoulders, the hearts of your children and the smile of your wife. And so when you kind of think through that and what that means, and you kind of say, Hey, this is the end state. I want walking out of this. And, and, and here's the impact. I think it helps in, individuals frame in their mind, hey, what's the path I really need to take? What is essential? And what's the way forward for what's truly important? No, I, I, and I think I say something about this and ego is the enemy. But basically, a lot of people think if they get their career on track and they succeed in it, it will create happiness at home. And that is not how that works. But like it, perfecting the personal, uh, perfecting the professional is is almost unrelated to the personal. But getting the personal in order, you know, you're, you're having a better marriage, or you're, you know, uh, you're getting out of a bad marriage. You know, you have a good relationship with your kids. You're eating well, taking care of yourself. You're sleeping. You know, you're you're doing all the things that are, you know that go into being a well-rounded, well-taken-care-of person, that will have very tangible, immediate impact on your ability to succeed as a professional. And so, yeah, d- definitely. Um, and, and, and at the end of the day, like, uh, 
what are you gonna be most proud of at the end? What, like I was thinking about this, I, I do this email every day uh, for, for Daily Dad. We send out an email about parent, uh, about like the sort of stories from history about being a better parent. And look, there's like, uh, what I'm saying is there, there's lots of ways to be successful. There's lots of ways to have impact, but like think about the impact of your grandparents, right? Your grandparents had impact on your parents who had impact on you and you're gonna be passing those things on to your children. So that's, that's four generations. What is the chance that, the, that the, the work you're doing today at your job is gonna have impact four generations from now? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's exceedingly unlikely that anything I write will have impact four generations from now. Like, you know what I mean? That's like, that's like hitting a grand slam as an author. Like the, the, how timeless and, and well-selling your work has to be to hook that up. But there's a conversation I could have or something I could do at home right now that almost guaranteed would have impact on my kids, not just from their memory, but we also now understand this idea of epigenetics, which is that like the experiences and the things that happen to us in life literally shape the genes that we pass on. And so, so like nowhere are you going to have more impact as a human being uh, than, than at home with your family. And, and weirdly, that is the thing we tend to prioritize last because those are the people who are most forgiving and understanding of us. And that's somewhat tragic and, and, and something we've got to be very cognizant of. No, that's a great point. I think those that are listening, you know, one of the things that everybody I think kind of goes through and tries to struggle is there's this unicorn and concept of balance. And so, as you mentioned, right? So those that are, are incredibly dedicated and are passionate and even obsessed with doing better and trying to get after things within their craft, they'll think, hey, if I get this on track, but at some point it's kind of almost like swimming in quicksand. You know, there's always going to be something new, something new challenge that you're going to move, move toward, dedicate more time. But, it, it, but the, the, the true portion about it is how do you, how do you go back and, and the things that you'll never be able to have again? So it's a 15-minute conversation, you know, with your son that, you know, you may have to wade through all these different things, you know, whether it's playing with some toys that you don't want to, have some conversation, listen to some music you don't, just to have that one 15-minute conversation where you know you've made an impact, that that's something he's going to remember. And so, you know, we, we talk about, you know, this control portion about it. And so I, I think that's part of the thing that when, you know, I, I always offer to my son, you know, there's kind of like five things that he's got to be able to, to t take a look at and plan for his day. Otherwise, he becomes kind of a victim of his own schedule, right? It's, you know, you got to plan where you're going to, you know, what you're going to eat, which, when, you, when you're going to sleep, you know, when you're going to do some type of physical activity and kind of prep and work. Otherwise, you start off being a victim of your own schedule. And just like you mentioned, one of the lessons of, you know, stoics start early in the day. I think that, you know, this time naturally speeds up afternoon, you know, and you start playing catch up. So anything else I think you'd, you'd add on that? I think the team would appreciate that as well. Yeah, I mean, I gave after I talked to the Browns, I went and I talked to the, the coaching staff of the Rams and they had a, a, you know, a lot of just like you have behind you. So you can have like the organizational have like sort of the core values or the, the commitments or, or whatever. And one of the ones that I, I've sort of stolen from them that I loved, it says, keep the main thing, the main thing. 
And, and that's just a great value. It's a great thing to think about. And it's something to apply strategically to your whole life, but also tactically day to day. And so what is the main thing today? What are you doing, right? And so like when I, like for instance, my calendar, because I'm, I'm, I'm much more autonomy than a person in the armed forces, I, 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 uh, I want like nothing in my calendar. When I see things in my calendar, that's time not spent on my main thing, which is writing. Do you know what I mean? Like we're talking, I agreed to do this, I'm not complaining, but I'm not writing because I'm doing this, right? So I could fill my whole day with these things. And so, so like what I, it's like, what's the main thing? And, and your point about the day speeding up is very true. So when I do schedule stuff, it's invariably in the afternoon because I want to have won the day already. And then I'm playing with kind of house money in the afternoon. Um, so I'm never putting stuff off, right? I'm never saying like, well, I was, uh, was going to write this morning, but I wanted to see uh, you know, did the Trailblazers win last night? And then, uh, then maybe I'll watch a little more Sports Center, and then I'll respond to emails. Then maybe I'll go out to breakfast. And then I had that I scheduled that meeting for eleven. You know, so like all of a sudden, you know, it's like two or three o'clock before like the the dust is clearing, and and it's actually not clearing because now you got other stuff you have to do. So so for me, I, I try to. I was, I had done the heavy lifting that I had to do from a writing perspective by like 10, 10, 15, 10, 30 this morning. And I, I've been working on other stuff since then. But the point is like, I did the hard thing up front and then the rest is extra. No, that's, I think that's, that's a, that's a great point and great advice for those that are listening. And and I did, I Ryan, I thanked you up front. I can write some pages, but I think what you would get is barely something that says subject plus predicate equals complete thought. But I'll, I'll can send you a couple a couple emails so you can get this time back. No, the uh, I, I was wondering though, you know, now that we're talking through this thing, you you do you you kind of almost in, in our business operationalize, you know, these the philosophy itself, some key principles that I think you speak very well and 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 very very clear, plain terms that guys can understand. doesn't matter, you know, whether you're a practitioner in a certain things or you're, you know, you're still studying the concepts in itself. But I really like how you just talk about, here's some things you can do on a daily basis or throughout the week, you know, and, and I was wondering if you could share some of those things. With yeah, the I try to think about it in terms of practices. What are practices that are sort of historically proven, that, uh, that, that are gonna get results. So journaling is a big one uh, for me. So I try to spend some time journaling in the morning. I try to have sort of time set aside for stillness, uh, so, which is sort of a difficult concept. Uh, this is a little paradoxical, but like, so the first thing I do in the morning is I wake up and then I don't touch my phone for the first one hour that I'm awake. Um, and that means I do have to get up early because like all people I have to, see what's going on. I have to, I do that. There are stuff I have to react, but that means that I don't, uh, that means I have to back up when I wake up so I can have this one uninterrupted hour. And so uh, I get up, I don't go straight into the news or whatever. I'm that it's time for me to just reflect. And so since I haven't touched my phone, since I went to bed, that means I'm getting, you know, 10 ish hours of no phone. Um, 
which to me is really important. And then I, I go for a walk. I take my two kids for a walk in the morning. And so we're outside, we're just connecting, we're experiencing nature. Um, I often have all sorts of ideas uh, from that experience. Um, so then on top of the walk, I do some form of strenuous exercise every single day. I try to have time for reading every single day as a practice. And then obviously as a writer, I'm very bullish on writing, but I think writing, like you write to figure out what you think. And, and so if, if I, even back when I was an executive, I spent a lot of time sort of writing out whether it was letters or memos or, you know, thing I was trying to explain what I wanted to happen um, so it could be so the idea could be sort of distributed and disseminated through the organization I, I, I like that point where you talk about journaling and we've seen that and you've mentioned you know Fox Connor um, you know Eisenhower and, and a lot you know, to truly, you know, understand what they were thinking and going through, you know, a lot of these key leaders ended up journaling throughout that time frame. And so for me, I got to confess, I mean, I use the notes on my iPhone is when I wake up, but, uh, (laughs) but I'm going to have to turn off the notifications as we go through that, because you're right. I feel like when I wake up a lot of times, which probably a lot of people do, there's so many things, you know, your, your mind's kind of gone to rest, but then you, as soon as you wake, you're thinking through all these things and you're trying to put some type of order. You're just jotting these thoughts down. But I do like that, you know, the key point is just not journaling to figure things out, which I really like is you have an opportunity at the end of the day to go back and reflect on it. You know, and it's, and it's interesting because a lot of times when I wake up, I'm writing things down that it's not even part of a problem set that's something hard. It's, it may be even something that I wrote down that says, I need to make sure I send an email to this individual congratulating them about, you know, whatever it is. I need to make sure I, you know, call my dad and, and ask about how this followed up on. And so in my mind, you know, all these things, if you don't write them down, then there's no way to kind of reflect you know, almost that discussion that we had about how successful and are you actually actively, you know, pursuing that day? Yeah, it's just, there's all this stuff bouncing around in here and you want to get it out. So then you only have the important things going on in there. So yeah, for me, uh, it's about kind of slowing things down, getting it out on the page, having a conversation with yourself. Uh, It's a great way to catch, you know, uh, that temper before you do, it does something damaging in your life or to someone else, you know, feelings of envy or unhappiness. It's just a place to work through those feelings. And, and look, there's a reason that most successful people through history uh, have, have kept a journal. And, uh, and, and so I, I, I also tend to look for things that have sort of been confirmed uh, in, in, in the, the biographies of people that I admire. You, you know, that, but it's also interesting if, if the team's listening, just the order that you do it. You know, the moment you wake up, you give yourself the time, you're writing down to kind of figure out and kind of place what's going on in your head, uh, how you want to, it's almost like how you want to attack the day and reflect on uh, certain things as you're going through. Then you get after doing PT, which I want everybody to make sure that you said that. I didn't say that, you know. Well, so it, it, yes, the journaling thing is not just some item on the to-do list. It is a meditative sort of uh, intention setting part of the day. 
uh, my exercise tends to be flexible and when I do it just on what I have. But, uh, you know, if I was single, I'd probably do it straight in the morning. I don't. So I, what I, the way I tend to do it now is the, I do the walk, but I don't consider the walk exercise. The walk is purely for the mental benefits. And there's a reason that mathematicians and composers and artists and, and, uh, and, and, and leaders have been walking throughout history. It, it, it helps calm the mind down. So I do the walk as the mental thing. And then the exercise, I, I tend to do more in the evening. But when you look at the routines of most really successful people, like people who have less freedom over their schedule, like CEOs or presidents or heads of state or whatever, they tend to exercise in the morning. You look at the billionaire's routine is always like, wake up at 4 a.m., work out. You know, and, and that's because at 4 a.m. no one is vying for their time, but at 4 p.m. there's a lot of competing things going on and it's disruptive in the middle of the day to do it. So, so yes, I, 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 do, I do think starting the day with these things is really, really important. No, that's, that's great. And I'm glad you differentiated uh, walking versus doing PT. So I was gonna have to clarify that for, for the team that was listening. So no, that's, that, that's great. Cause I agree with the same thing, you know, unpacking this stuff afterwards um, and letting your mind, you know, get away from the things that are the, you know, the problems that you're going to have to attack later on. You know, the, the other thing that, that I appreciated when you, sp- when you speak about key lessons is it's almost this worst case scenario. So as, you know, as, as we kind of, you know, almost come to the last portion of this conversation, I was wondering if we could just kind of talk and focus on the fact that, you know, a lot of times in our business, we say in the profession of arms, we have this repetitive, you know, responsibility of, you know, professional judgment, and that's really to manage violence and risk. So how are you prepared in these pressure situations to do that? And I think one of the things that, you know, that you talk about as a practice of stoicisms and good stoics is they think through almost the worst case scenario. So they've already kind of prepared themselves. It's almost in, in the sense of preparing, hey, when you do have something that you may not go or the conditions are, are adjusting a little bit, how do you make sure that you're prepared, that you can continue to go? And, and for us, that's what I really saw is building that mental agility by kind of going through that in your mind. Yeah, so, so uh, this is something I'm writing about right now, actually. Yeah, the Stoics practice what they call premeditatio malorum, a premeditation of evils. But, but uh, Seneca actually talks about this. He's quoting Fabius, the, 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 the military historian, and he's saying the only inexcusable thing for a commander to say is, I did not think that would happen right? The, to, to have not thought about the contingency. And Napoleon says this as well. Napoleon says, you know, at every moment, the general should ask himself, what would I do if the enemy appeared on my left? What would I do if the enemy appeared in my rear, right? The idea being, you have to know in advance what you would do in scenarios A, B, C, D, and E. Are there still such thing as black swans? Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and that does happen. But in preparing for all the things that are not black swans, you are preparing also for the black swan. And I think we are looking at we are looking right now at a at one of the most costly case studies of all time on what happens when you are not prepared. Right. Uh, Politically, culturally, uh, medically, financially, 
all aspects of life from the, the, the person who didn't have enough savings in their savings account to, to, to in, you know, be able to endure, uh, you know, an economic downturn to, you know, the, the leadership in this country that disbanded a pandemic preparedness team, you know, like we are dealing with the reality of what happens when you tell yourself that because something is unlikely, you don't have to think about it. And it's great to be optimistic and it's great to hope for the best, but you also have to be prepared for the worst. Um, and, and what the Stoics say over and over again is that it's better to be pleasantly surprised when something bad doesn't happen than unpleasantly surprised when something bad does happen. And just for the team that's listening, you know, and, and I'll share with you, Ryan, as we were going through this with COVID initially and everybody was was really looking at, hey, what are the procedures and policies we need to implement to really create our safe bubble again? And everybody's talking about, you know, our masks, no masks, do we need new face shields? What was going on? And, and as we were thinking through that, there was enough people that were working through that problem set. What, what I was, was, was talking with the team is we need to think through the next larger problem set that we're going to end up facing, which is when a soldier in our barracks in small confined spaces becomes COVID positive. And then now we have a larger problem set that we have because it's now in confined spaces. We have to clean. We have to find out we can isolate all these individuals at once. And then the second one is what happens if it ends up, you know, spreading to our, our defect where we have to quickly close it? How is how do we have to go back and, you know, continue to ex exercise all these uh, essential services that we have? And so we went through this planning process in March and I could tell that my team was kind of like, you know, hey, sir, it's, you know, we're, I think we're going to be good. You know, the curve's now starting to come down. And really, the part of that was is because those outside our military installation were also exercising similar, you know, procedures that we were. But then as it started to change and everybody started lifting, we started to see a little bit, you know, increase of the number of cases we had. And the scenario that we had done the, the, the mental work for earlier in March, we just recently experienced, you know, some of those same things, but we were prepared as we went through that. No, and, and I was just reading an article uh, in Texas, uh, and I'm sure people listening have been posted from Texas. So uh, HEB, the grocery store chain, uh, has, has been stupendous, like adding hours. They've had no runs on supplies. They've been, they've been great. And so they were sort of, there was, I was reading this, this article about how they managed to do this. They're talking, they have like a disaster like preparedness team and, and, and a guy whose job it is to just do this or a, a person, a, a man or a woman. But anyways, what they were saying is they were like, how did you, how have you survived this or whatever? And he said, well, we've war gamed for precisely this scenario. And we've thought about, you know, he was like, we knew something was happening just because our supply lines overseas were, we were seeing the impact of this just from that. And so he was like, we've been reacting to this since like December or January. And the point being, if you've wargamed something, if you're prepared for it, it's never perfectly going to replicate the situation that you're in, but it is going to put you in a position where you don't have to waste as much time building a plan of action from scratch. And, and, uh, and yeah, look, I would argue that of all the different, you know, uh, branches of society of our system that have sort of crumbled under the pressure of COVID, 
there's a reason the military is like the one thing that people are pretty universally uh, pleased with at the moment. And, and I think that is because of the, the preparation and the standards you guys hold yourselves to. No, I, I appreciate it, Ryan. And I would tell you, for the team that's listening, I think that, you know, what you've laid out and some, some key practices for those that are relatively new and kind of figure out how do I get integrated into this team, I think some of the things in terms of daily practices will help you figure out how to manage that time and quickly go through and really focus on the things that you mentioned, you know, control what only you can control. I, I think the, the, the same discussion that we had about looking hard about obstacles as opportunities and then what we just had in terms of this recent portion of the discussion helps with building mental agility. I mean, you could take that same portion at an organizational level and say, am I wargaming the things to make sure I have enough finances if this continues? What am I plan for you know, my kids if they don't go back to school? And so you're prepared for that portion as well. And, and I think the, the biggest thing that I really took away is, you know, reading through your work and at the same time listening to you discuss the Daily Stoic every day is you, you really mirror and provide as we go back to this art and science and how to practice this. In the Army ethic, we talk about three C's. We talk about character, co- uh, commitment, and competence. And I think what you kind of laid out as daily practices and really the, the, the messaging of what the philosophy is of Stoicism is a way to get after those, th- those three C's, which really in our business is the, is the formula for building the currency of our profession, which is trust. So, Ryan, I appreciate you sitting down with us today. And, you know, we always leave the team with asking, you know, what are your questions? But I'd like to leave the final word with you. No, th- thank you guys so much, and, and thank you for, for, for what you do for us, and uh, I appreciate it. And, and if you want to know more about Stoicism, I do this free email every day, uh, Daily Stoic. It, what, Stoicism is so influential to me personally, I just, just sort of try to pay that forward. And uh, if you're looking for something sort of part of that morning routine, that email is not a, not a bad place to start. You can get that at uh, dailystoic.com slash email. That's awesome. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate it. All right. Talk soon. Hey, it's Ryan. If you want to take your study of Stoicism to the next level, I want to invite you to join us over at Daily Stoic Life. We have daily conversations about the podcast episodes, about the daily email. We actually do a special weekend set of emails for everyone. You get all our Daily Stoic courses and challenges totally for free. That's hundreds of dollars of value every single year, including our New Year New You Challenge, which we're going to launch in January. You get a special cloth-bound edition of the best of meditations that we've done. You get a bunch of cool stuff. It's an awesome community. I've loved being a part of it. I've loved getting to meet everyone who's trying to take their study of stoicism to the next level. Love to have you join us. Check us out at dailystoiclife.com. We'd love to have you and join us on this digital stoa that we uh, that we've staked out together and get better every day. Hey Prime members, you can listen to the Daily Stoic early and ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Do you want to hear about the $100 wedding dress that just saved Abercrombie? Or the tech acquisition that was just like Game of Thrones? Or the one financial equation that can solve climate change? Then check out our daily podcast, The Best One Yet, or as we call it, 
T-Boy. This is Nick. This is Jack. And we pick the three most interesting business news stories every day for the perfect mix. 20 minutes each morning, you're going to feel brighter. We call it pop biz, don't we, Jack? Where pop culture meets business news. So whether you want to kick off a conversation with your buddies. Or you're going for that promotion at work. Or you just want to know the trends before your friends. Feel brighter by starting your morning with us every weekday. Listen to the best one yet on the Wondery app or wherever you get your pods. You can listen to the best one yet ad-free right now on Wondery Plus. For more deep dive and daily business content, listen on Wondery, the destination for business podcasts. With shows like The Best One Yet, How I Built This, and many more, Wondery means business. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto I Live My Life a Quarter Mile at a Time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.